This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guests today, we're honored and excited to welcome Rudabay Pakravan and Kristen Seidel, architects and principals of Seidel Pakravan. Seidel Pakravan is a design-intensive architecture studio with a collaborative culture. They integrate expertise, unique ideas and experience into exceptional design solutions where every project team includes a principal and a creative designers working together to craft a vision to deliver your project. As a group, they share an unyielding, I love that word, unyielding commitment to design. For more information, feel free to visit their website at sidelpakravan.com. Again, that's sidelpakravan.com. Hello, Ruta Bay and Kristen. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. We're honored, really. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Well, as, as we talked about before uh, we, we got on the show, is we like to start our show off with a quote or a, a mantra that you may have. And uh, Ruta Bay, if you, if you can share one, I'd love to hear what you, uh, you shared with me before we, we came on the air. So what I was um, what I was saying earlier was uh, that Kristen and I, when we work, we really believe that architecture has the power to create um, emotion and feeling in people by offering something unexpected. And so we always really like this quote by Maya Lin. Um, she says, "I try to give people a different way of looking at their surroundings. That's art to me." And I think we really share that um, vision of what architecture can be. Yeah, how is that segue into your company culture as well? I think it segues, and Kristen, you can jump in whenever. It it segues um, in the way that we really foreground design and the importance of design and the actual feeling of architecture, the sort of position it has on the street, um, the way, you know, the solidity of it feels, um, how it can actually change the landscape, how it can change how people, you know, experience their everyday life. And so we talk about that with our staff, our interns, with each other all the time, like how we can create these kind of powerful, how we can sort of harness the power of architecture to create um, to create experience. Yeah. And that, and that experience, I noticed something that was really neat uh, with your work is that the, there's, at least to me, there's a, there's range, there's a range of your architecture and the projects you work. Is that by design or maybe I'm off a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think what you're saying is that the range is um, in typology, whether it's a house or a tech office, that's, you know, three buildings and 90,000 square feet um, or whether it is a really small project, like a small remodel or a small showroom. So I think we're interested in a big range of scales and types of work because for us, it's so much about the creative opportunity that we have and the people that we work with on the project. We um, love working with clients who are inspired by the opportunities that design invention offers. And we also love working with 
really talented consultants and collaborators because we find that we just generate so much more by working with that kind of approach and outlook. So that that variety and that range is really critical. I like that creative opportunity. Can you sh- go in a little bit more about the creative opportunity? I have not heard those two words together before, and I like them. Um, well, I guess for us, design... You know, in school, you're taught to think of design as problem solving and that there's a problem that you're given um, when you have an assignment, right? You aren't given an assignment, you're given a design problem. So you look at it as a way of seeking out solutions. And I think that's very much how we look at design and that we are creating solutions. But we also very firmly believe that there is not only one answer to any of these problems and that ultimately it's about finding a, a range, again, okay. a range of what those um, solutions might be. And then it's finding what really best suits the particular conditions. And for me, maybe that's the opportunity and that a different set of conditions or a different set of people might um, align to find different opportunities. So for me, it's the the opportunity to problem solve through creativity and through a thoughtful alignment of a range of expertise between different collaborators. I could even build on that and say that um, sometimes our most exciting ideas or things that make us really um, interested in in the project in the office are come from constraints. Um, sometimes it's a budgetary constraint. Sometimes it and so. It, it sounds a little, you know, cliche, but those constraints actually really become opportunities for us. And it's like the c- creativity you have to use to address a certain constraint, whether it's a site constraint, a budgetary constraint, a client um, need, a collaborative need with someone on the re- other team um, or us, the other uh, consultants on the team. Um, those constraints can become opportunities for us often. I love that constraints because that's hap- a couple of times in the last several weeks I've heard that. Why, what's your opinion or even your experience as to why those constraints after actually uplift and make a project maybe, I don't know if the word better is the way, but they actually challenge you in a way that it's like, wow, that really makes for even a, a better outcome. I mean, this is a totally like maybe a big, too big a question. But I'm curious because you said constraints as if it was like a a welcoming, whereas most people run away from them. It's like, I don't know, it's sort of like when you're a kid and you like eat too much candy or like that marshmallow (laughs) experiment where they like make kids wait to have the marshmallow. It's sort of like if you have, for example, a budgetary constraint and and that often happens in, in, you know, all types of projects in architecture, right? Clients have a certain idea about a budget in mind and we tend to work with all different, you know, um, scales of, of people and corporations. But we often, you know, some of our, our most common projects are for families that, you know, live in the area that we do. And, you know, these are not people that can write endless checks. And so what happens is you end up thinking about one or two really special moments in a project. Like what is, you talk to the clients, like what is really, really important to you? Is it capturing light in a certain way? Is it um, creating a certain type of flow? Is it having a view to a certain place or a certain kind of window? Um, and then you focus on those things and then you make 
you make certain types of decisions on on those um, for those goals, and then the other stuff kind of blends into the background. And and what happens is when you do that, you sometimes think about things differently and come up with something that feels unique or or really special. And we've had so many clients like text us later or email us or call us and say, wow, that, that moment you created, like I have my coffee there every morning and it's so special to me or whatever that is. Right. So it's like, you wouldn't do that if you had like an unlimited, you know, price tag, just you could do whatever you want. You might miss some of those special moments because you're not thinking about it. I like that. What is important to you? Is that, is that part of your process that you work with your clients or that question specifically is, what is important to you? What do you expect at the end of this project or, or working with us? Absolutely. We would always ask a client or um, a family what their priorities might be for a project. But I think we also um, try and ask the question in a way that isn't so direct. Because if you ask someone on their remodel or their new home what's important to them, they might say something more like, oh, I want a certain number of bedrooms or a certain number of bathrooms or my living room needs to be this size. And so we actually find it's much more productive to ask them questions about how do you live? Where do you um, spend the most time together as a family? Um, what kind of experiences are really meaningful to you? So we try and ask things that are more qualitative than quantitative and more experiential. And we try to ask questions that people aren't expecting because then they actually answer in a way that is perhaps more from the heart or actually more almost foundational in a way so that we can leverage that information in a way that helps us find those creative opportunities. Excellent. This is excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cyraclad. We're talking today with Rudabe Pakravan and Kristen Seidel, principles of Seidel Pakravan Architects. For more information, feel free to visit their website at sedalpakravan.com. Now, you know, I, I, I love this, this part here. Is re, we're going to go back again. Reframe how you see things. My thoughts are, is, it doesn't, that seems like it almost takes place daily. Maybe I'm reaching. Tell me if I am. But you, you always have to seem to reframe your decisions or your choices or your selections and I don't know, it just kind of seems overwhelming. How do you guys end up with such a great outcome of a project? That's the fun part. We love reframing and okay. seeing things differently. I think for us, it it sort of enriches our experience of the world around us and allows us to share that with our clients and with our communities. and. I add communities into that because it's important to us as architects that we aren't just designing something for a particular client and that's the end of it. We really see it as something that we're giving to the community around us and for a time beyond our current time. So I think reframing what we see or seeing things differently is just a part of understanding that while we think about things really specifically for a particular moment in time and purpose, that we also want it to be expansive and applicable beyond that. So I think that to be able to provide that, we need to constantly look at things from different perspectives and through different um, criteria. I think a good way to um, like think about that specifically is, for example, um, 
we have a project that's almost it's near completion. Um, it's a it's in a um, West Berkeley. It's like a bungalow neighborhood, and uh, we had clients that were looking for something maybe more contemporary than a typical bungalow, but they they wanted it to fit into the neighborhood and. So we talked a lot early on about some of the things that they wanted and they, they wanted lots of light. Again, they wanted, you know, a feeling of expansiveness. Um, and for us, we wanted to make sure that we address those things. And, and, and we also thought about what the idea of a bungalow was beyond just your typical kind of Berkeley craftsman, right? So for us, it became an idea of thinking about scale. It became an idea of thinking about sizes of space that could maybe shift um, to shift in between each other to create light in the middle. Um, and what ended up you know, coming coming out of that process is something that doesn't really look anything like a Berkeley bungalow, but somehow, and it, it fits, it simultaneously fits into the neighborhood, but, and doesn't, like it stands out. And I think that just walking by that kind of creates a reframing. Um, it's like this more abstract piece of architecture, but then scale-wise and size-wise, it fits right in. So it's like one of these, that for me is a, you know, a way of reframing, kind of creating something unexpected. And it addresses the street also. So it's part of the public realm in a way. We'll go to another one that you said, the power to create something. Can you go a little deeper into that? The power to create something. Those are good questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. My brain is working so, you know, the time. I like it. Thinking about the power to create something, I also think of it as an incredible privilege that we have, that we get to work with a team of creative people to make something for someone else, to constantly be asking questions and exploring what it means to answer those questions. So... While I see it as power, right? We get this mm-hmm. this opportunity to build something in a city or in a community. Um, I also see it as a great privilege. So I think while we are doing this, we work with an awareness of that very much. Yeah, I would agree with that. I noticed that there's a there's like a kind of a sense of honor with uh, how you work, Rudabe and Kristen. Like there, it really is a privilege, and I've never thought of that when I've I've talked to hundreds of, of, of architects and designers that, and they and I'm sure they do it, but it seems like that's kind of like your first step is you have kind of honor their their requests, their presence, their what their outcome is. is it, again, tell me if I'm I'm poking a little too much, but I, there is a sense of honor that I'm really not used to. I mean, that's a really nice reading of, of the way we work. Um, appreciate that. I think um, for us, we realized a long time ago that, um, you know, architects have kind of an interesting position in, in, in I think, American society, um, a little bit different in other cultures and other countries. But um, I think it we don't always have a ton of agency, like beyond the kind of client architect relationship. And I think a lot of architects have goals beyond that. They want to contribute to the community and they just don't know how to do it or they want to, um, you know, create relationships across um, disciplines. And somehow we don't always get those opportunities. Um, And 
what Kristen and I decided early on in our practice was we were going to like insert ourselves into any situation that we could. And so sometimes that means like literally calling up the city of Berkeley and saying like, how can we help like at the beginning of the pandemic? Like how, what can we do to help out restaurants or businesses that are struggling? How just, just any way that even if people are like, well, I don't really know what you can do. And then they think about it and they're like, actually, maybe you can help us come up with a way for restaurants to build parklets really easily. Or um, maybe you can contribute, maybe you can start to think more about what is an accessory dwelling unit? How does that um, help the production of housing in California and contribute to the housing crisis? Like just any way that we can, even if it seems small, we sort of say yes to lots of things. And I think that that's just something we've been, we've been trying to do since the beginning. Um, and just kind of create these opportunities where maybe none exist. I don't know if that exactly answers the question about honor, but I think it's just like a commitment to the community um, and a commitment to the, our clients as well. Yeah, I like that that commitment. Can you share with us some of the projects that you're working on? You don't have to name names if you if you choose not to do so, but would, I'd love to hear some of the projects that are more recent projects that you guys are working on it um, for your audience. Well, Rudy mentioned that bungalow we have been working on in West Berkeley, and that's an exciting one. Um, it's wrapping up construction, so it's a um, brand new home in West Berkeley for a, a couple that's retiring here um, because their daughters live here. So that's been a great process of rethinking what it means to have a home in West Berkeley. Been working on that one for a while. Um, we have a number of other residential projects that we have been working on. Um, a number of remodels, a couple ground up homes in Oakland that we're excited about. Um, one thing that has been important to us as we think about what it means to live in the Bay Area, a, a location of lots of opportunity and um, resources, and what does it mean when you live here? And it costs a lot to live here, especially costs a lot to have real estate here. And so it's been exciting to us to be able to do some new homes in Oakland that are closer into the city rather than um, really far out where there's longer commutes and um, using more resources that way. Some, some homes in Oakland um, that are ground up. So that's an unusual opportunity. Usually as an architecture firm that's really interested in infill development, you can only do remodels. And while we love remodels and smaller additions, it's fun to have these new homes. Um, what yep, else are we working on, Rudy? Also, there's a, there's a house in Napa that we're really excited about. Um, that's also starting construction. And that's a, a collaboration that we're doing with a company we love working with. They're called Henry Built. Um, you may know them. Um, they started off as a sort of kitchen systems company. Um, they've expanded to include, um, you know, a whole house, basically, whole house kind of systems thinking and casework and furniture. And it's really, really beautiful and high quality. Um, high quality uh, stuff. And we love working with them on other projects. And this is actually the first time we're kind of coll jointly collaborating. Um, we're doing the architecture and they're doing the interiors. Um, so that's a project we're super excited about. That's called the, the Green Valley Road Residence and that's up in Napa. Um, and then we do some commercial work too. We've done work for tech offices. Um, and uh, we're currently also expanding a veterinary hospital in our neighborhood in Berkeley. So that's definitely a new one for us. And that's been really, really fun because 
Kristen and I both love dogs. And so <laughs> we are, we're happy that that one is, um, that one is definitely like has been out of our, um, out of our normal comfort zone, but we really enjoyed again, because it's a community, um, it's just down the street from us and it's, um, clients are really, really great. And we apply the sort of same principles that we applied every other project, um, to this one. So it's fun. Excellent. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Cyraclad. And for our public service announcement today is for PositivePractices.net. Founded in 2009, Positive Communication Practices develops programs that offer positive lifestyle alternatives by providing guidance and positive direction while creating a space for sharing and the opportunity for both healing and growth. For more information, feel free to visit their website at positivepractices.net. Again, that's positivepractices.net. We're talking today with Rudabay Pakravan and Kristen Sedell of Sedell Pakravan Architects. For more information, you can visit their website at sedellpakravan.com. You know, th- th- this is another one that uh, a notes that I come back to is inspired that's actually a real accurate word when I've seen uh, your work is it seems like there's an inspiration for all your projects and it's not just based on, Oh, this is a project, you know, somebody reached out to us and they want a job done, but there seems to be like this whole energy of inspiration for a project, no matter what it is, is, is again, if I'm reading too much into it, tell me, but that, that's what I sense. Cause I really look deep when I, when I, uh, before uh, I, I'm honored to, to have you as guests. I think that's a great um, observation, or I'm delighted that you're able to see that in the work. One of the wonderful things about architecture is that it has that functional side where you are fulfilling a need, whether it's office space or a restaurant or a veterinary hospital, but then it also has that creative side where we as architects are bringing some kind of idea about space or material or light or form or something about the local context. And we explore that through the process of developing an architecture. And that that becomes a set of creative or conceptual ideas that then kind of harnesses or pulls together the project as we develop it into something that is ultimately built. So every single project that we work on always has a bigger conceptual idea that we that we develop through the process of initially a number of questions and discussions in the office. And as we start to understand the project or the site or the set of um, conditions, that's how we develop what that conceptual exploration might be. And on every project, it's going to be different. But I think no matter what, it's seen through the lens of how we as architects um, approach the world and think about questions. So it usually in our practice tends to be linked very closely to an understanding of um, very clear and um, primary understandings of architectural questions about form and space. Form and space. On that subject of form and space, I have a strong opinion that every house, home, project, whatever, regardless of the size, size that's been designed by an architect, ought to have at least, if not a full placard, like, you know, a, a monument, but at least an acknowledgement of who designed this. And I don't know 
for whatever reason why that doesn't exist, it does on some they call historic or <clears throat> if someone's well known or recognized. What's your thought on that? And the, and the reason I'll, I'll jump to your what your thought on this. Here's what my belief is because it's like imagine a book. Oh, don't imagine books all have authors, but imagine if books just had the title and the subject, and we didn't know who wrote it. In my view, homes, buildings, any dwelling was authored by you, but there's no recognition of it. What's your thought on that? This is just such an interesting question, actually, because I've never really had anyone ask that, but it's it's a good question, and I think it resonates with me because I think Kristen and I have a very specific interest in certain things, right? We have a um, an interest in how we approach, uh, like Kristen said earlier, design problems, how we approach relationships with clients, our, our personal kind of uh, just intuitive working with form and space, the, the types of things that we do and the types of influences that we bring. And so there is very much a project in our office, like a, like a, broad architectural project that is that we come back to again and again and we we do that with different um with through different lenses whether it's a house or an office or whether a client is interested in this or that but the project the kind of um ambition of the of the work is always the same or comes from the same set of interests and so like you're right when you see an author of a book, you're like, okay, I understand the lens in which they're approaching this same topic, you know, whatever the topics are. Um, and I think it helps you understand that in a way. And I, I, I think that that's a really nice way of thinking about it. Like, could we have a, um, you know, could we have a plaque? So you understand, like, why did an architect do this? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be mandatory, but if uh, if I was mayor of a city, I would have definitely put it before everybody and say, you know, from now on, any of the architects, your name's going on it. I like that. As well as the builder. Yeah. Maybe we'll secretly, like, write it on the drywall <laughs> under, or, like, on the studs. Yeah. So when people are doing remodels, like, 30 years from now, they'll be like, huh, Ruta Bay, Pacravan, and Crystal Seidel, who are these people? No, they're going to say, we found another masterpiece. <laughs> found another masterpiece, yeah, exactly. Yes, but it is, you are authoring the building. I mean, yeah. just, no, yeah. I think that's a really interesting point and, and a good one. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I really, uh, I thought of it for a lot, but I haven't asked that question probably in several years. But um, is there anything that we may not have touched on with your show today that you'd like to share that uh, with your audience? You know, one thing that I think would be um, nice to share is uh, when we were talking about projects that we're working on, we didn't really touch on the... So Kristen and I both... Um, and again, this speaks a little bit to the opportunities that don't always come to architects. It's like we really want to do um, multifamily housing because we feel like that, sh- uh, that shapes the community in a really important way. Um, and so we've started uh, collaborating with the Landscape Architecture Office and just working on these speculative projects in the office. So we did um, a whole you know, design for housing at the El Cerrito Bart, and we're doing one um, in Berkeley. And I would love to just chat about that for two minutes. And I think sure, beyond that, please. that would be it. So, um, so one thing that 
a project that we've been working on in the office that we're really, really excited about. Um, and it's a, it's a speculative project that we are working on with Groundworks Office, um, who's one of our favorite landscape firms to, to collaborate with. Um, it takes, uh, so there's an easement in the city of Berkeley that runs you know, diagonally across town um, that used to be run by a railway called the Santa Fe Railway. And it, it cuts uh, a weird angle. And so there's all these sort of leftover lots and they're just empty um, and they're kind of adjacent to people's homes. And currently they were just kind of overgrown. Um, and so what we are proposing and we're um, working with a housing, Berkeley housing expert named Daryl Owens, and we're trying to talk to city council about it, um, is a, a set of um, multifamily homes and um a part, sort of a parkway and a bike, a bike path and a set of parks that essentially connect one end of Berkeley to the other. Um, so, so we are working on that in the office. Um, we find that, you know, working on these speculative projects like this project and the El Cerrito BART housing project, even though, you know, they're not actually being asked of <laughs> us to, to do it, that's a, that's good for, um, preparation for when it does inevitably happen. And also it really um, helps us think about what's an important way for us to have architecture influence the community and 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 create better spaces for the community um, and more sustainable spaces, which is like increased density, better housing, um, better access to open space, um, all those all those good things. So that's a project we're really, really excited about. And um, we'd love to talk to anyone about it. <laughs> anyone who <laughs> feels like listening. Yeah. Um, we're kind of like proselytizing about that. Um, so it's a project we're really excited well, about. Excellent. One thing I'll add about that project that ties back to your earlier question about constraints. So obviously, if we're making up the project, right, if it's a speculative project that um, is because we've discovered an opportunity in Berkeley and it solves some questions that we see about transit and about housing, um, no one is giving us a constraint on that. I mean, we can imagine what the budget might be or we could imagine what some of the zoning might be, but we know it's fairly far out of the immediate set of conditions that exist in our city. So the other thing that's amazing about a project like that is that we decide what the constraints are and we're going to give a give ourselves a set of constraints that allow us to explore the question in a really, um, what we think of as a provocative and innovative way. So that's part of why we do these speculative projects, but still give them a lot of limits, is that it forces us to still think creatively, look at things through a new lens, and also address some of the things that we see as big big problems for our communities right now. Well, Ruta Bay and Christian, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure having you on the show today thank you both thank the both thank you both for have being here it was really uh really terrific and we got to have you on soon again because oh, I, I feel like there's you. a lot this more thank, thank you. you for having us and thank you for the very thought-provoking yeah. questions oh thank yeah, you it was interesting to think about our own work through your questions yeah. well I, i'm honored really our guests today have been ruta bay Pakravan and christian sidel Principles of Sidel Pakravan, which is a design-intensive architecture studio with a collaborative culture. Collaborative for sure. They integrate expertise, unique ideas, and experience into exceptional design solutions where every project team includes a principal and a creative designer and designers working together to craft vision and deliver projects. As a group, they share an unyielding commitment to design. For more information, feel free to visit 
SidelParpavan.com. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syriclad. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is recorded from the office of Syriclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location. The executive producer and host of the Architecture and Innovation Show is yours truly, Tom Dioro. Thank you very much.